Welcome to the podcast of Central Church. This is our latest weekly message. Today, I'm going to talk to you about those things that hinder us becoming more intimate with God. And I've been on a journey, as Carolyn said, uh, a long time of learning how to do that and still the, the more I move into intimacy with God, the more I realise how much more I need to grow. And um, so today I'm going to just talk to you quite simply. Um, I have four points to cover. The first two I'm going to cover quickly because you already know them. And I want to move into something that's a little bit more complex, uh, a little bit more subtle that can happen in our lives that... um, yeah, in that, in points three and four, I'll be giving a personal testimony and I need to tell you right now that that is actually quite difficult for me. Um, I'll be sharing parts of myself that I'm actually quite reluctant to do in many ways. I'm pretty good sharing one-on-one with people, but look at you all. And um, yeah, that's not going to be easy, but... We'll, we will do it. The royal we will do it. <laughs> yeah. Um, <clears throat> so I want to use it as my text, this one from Revelation 3.20, one you all know. And it's a picture of intimacy. When I first became a Christian, I was told this was a salvation scripture. You've already opened the door, so just move on. But... Later on in my Christian walk, I realised that this is one of the most beautiful pictures of intimacy that is in the scriptures. Because it is a picture of Jesus standing at the door that is shut. And he calls out to us because we can hear his voice. And he says, if anyone comes and opens the door, he will come in. And for a long time, I thought, Despite scriptures I read about leaving the 99, take one step and Jesus takes a thousand, all those scriptures, despite all those, I definitely had a mindset that um, I really had to pursue God and he was quite reluctant, really. I had to track him down and he was going to be evasive for me. Yes, he loved me, but, you know, it was kind of a reluctant love that he had for me. So my journey has indeed undergone many changes and many understandings and I'll share some of that with you today. So from this scripture where he says he'll come in and he will eat with us, that word, some translations say sup, but that word in essence means to communicate, to have communion and in fact it's only used five times in the New Testament. That's one. The four others are in each of the Gospels when he's talking about the Last Supper. So when he uses that word, it's a lot more than sitting down eating. And um, I love this picture. I go to this picture and I picture myself in this house that is kind of weird looking. It's white and it's got domes that are painted white. And I get... I go to the door and Jesus is there and, of course, he's got the white robes on 
with a brown over robe and the curtain tassel. And he comes in and he sits down. We're at a little two-table table, two-person table, and we're eating chocolate cake and drinking coffee because that's kind of my favourite thing to eat. And um, it's not as good as Sophie's cakes, but it's pretty good. <laughs> and Jesus likes to eat what I like to eat, I found. He's happy to flow with me. So one of the things that I said I've got four points. So the first one, which you all know, and I won't labour, is sin. So these are the things that have become habitual in our lives and we really do need to deal with them. And we know very well that we come from a place of righteousness, we ask forgiveness, we go to the throne of mercy and grace and that never ends. So we can deal with sin very quickly in our lives. And Jesus will help us. Carolyn said earlier, we need him and he will always help us. The second thing that is um, a real blockage to intimacy is unforgiveness. And we really have to work that out in our hearts and our lives that we keep a very clean heart towards other people and um, some of the things I've learned about forgiveness because it was a very hard road for me I came from a family that never forget my we have no Christians in my family except me and um, no Christian background so um, for me to learn about forgiveness I thought forgiveness was stupid I thought why would you forgive people who've done something terrible to you I, it took me a while to kind of clue on to that um, but having done that and having pushed through in many areas of forgiveness, it's an area of my life that I keep as pristine as possible. And I've learnt this about forgiveness, that um, you need to be very specific. If you're forgiving someone, you say, I forgive Mary because she did this. Very specific. Don't waffle. Don't just say, I forgive a God. Be very specific. Then I've learnt to pray a prayer for Mary. There's no Marys here, are there? Okay. <laughs> to pray a prayer for Mary where I pray for her the very desires that I want for myself, whatever they currently are. And then the third thing is to say to the Lord, what about me? What's happening in my heart? that I got to a place of holding resentment. And uh, that's where Jesus will tell you <laughs> what's going on. I've found too that um, discerning the behaviour of other people, if you don't hold that with wisdom, that will turn into judgement. And once you're in a place of judgement, that is also very similar to needing to forgive you know, needing to forgive, to release people. To say these people do not have to behave the way I think they should behave, I give them to you and so you bless them and you pray for them. So on those two points, sin and unforgiveness, when I ask Jesus to come and eat chocolate cake with me and drink coffee that I have made but it looks like Al has made it, 
Um, it tastes like Al has made it, but I've actually made it. Um, when I'm doing that, I have a chat with Jesus. It's an intimate chat. And it will go something like, Jesus, you got anything you want to talk to me about? Anything that's kind of happening in my life that you want to say to me? And he will always do it. Last time I did that was probably last Monday. And he said to me, well, Cheryl, you're starting to develop an attitude about someone. You better watch it. And I'm like, yeah, okay. I'm going to watch it. So help me, Jesus. If that starts to trickle back, help me. Like, show me, tell me. Jesus, is there anyone I need to forgive? Has this gone off? Oh, is there anyone I need to forgive right now? And while there was no one specific to forgive, I also asked this question too, is there anyone I'm judging? And actually, I'll tell you what happened with that. Because what came to my mind is at the Pioneer Conference, I met this guy and I was having a chat with him and he'd seen two angels. And I was really impressed with that. <laughs> I've never seen an angel. So I was quizzing him all about it. You know, what happened? What did they say? What did you do? And when I kind of said, you know, what happened when you did what they said, he said, oh, well, I haven't done it. And I was shocked. And here's the judgment. Not straight away. I kind of took a few days before it came back to my mind. I thought, this is what I thought. You know what? If an angel came and spoke to me, I'd do it. And then if another angel came and said the same thing, flippin' heck, I'd be doing it. So I'm having this chat with Jesus, right, and I'm asking, am I judging anyone? And he brings this back to my mind. So then I'm kind of talking to him about it, but Jesus, you know, I mean, two angels, really. And then he said, yeah, Cheryl, but what about the times the Holy Spirit has spoken to you and you haven't done anything? Oh, well, you know, now that you bring that up, you know. <laughs> okay, so that's a time of releasing. And I prayed, the prayer I pray of that guy is what I want at the moment, which is to understand the, um, the depth of the love of Jesus, the depth of the love of the Father and the Holy Spirit working in and through my life. Yeah? Actually, we're going to do it right now. So close your eyes and let's just have a chat. You can be having chocolate cake or you can just be sitting there, whatever you like, whatever suits you. So we'll just say, Jesus, is there anything you want to talk to me about right now? Jesus, is there anyone I need to forgive? Jesus, is there anyone I'm passing judgment on? Is 
So part of our walk with God is we expect him to answer those questions. And if he's spoken to you, you you're not going to deal with it now because we've got to keep going. But you can bring that up with him later on. So the next two points I want to talk to, I'm going to pull them together because they work together. And um, before I do that, there's just a couple of kind of things I have to say so that we're all on the same page. So if we go to um, the next scripture, and the only thing I want you to notice about that <coughs> is that it's um, the words soul, oh sorry, spirit, soul and body. And just quickly to go over that, when we get saved, our spirit becomes alive to God. Our spirit is quickened, it's in a good place. Our spirit doesn't need healing. Uh, our spirit is intact. It's born again and it's okay. And we can go to bed that night, wake up the next morning and know that our soul and our body have not undergone the same experience. So our body's the same, our mind, our emotions, it, in many cases there are exceptions, are pretty much the same. And that's why in Romans 12, we are urged to give our bodies as a living sacrifice. Because that is the most logical, reasonable act of worship that you can do in regard to your body. We're also told that we need to renew our mind. Because renewing our mind is what changes us. Renewing our mind is what transforms us, which is the process of sanctification. So what I want to talk to you about is related to the soul and the body. I want to talk to you about our mind and our emotions and the impact that has on our bodies. And to do that, I've got to pull you into a story that I'm going to tell you. But when we talk about the mind, you know, in 2 Corinthians 10, it says to pull down and demolish the strongholds. The strongholds are the patterns and systems of thinking that have developed in us from pretty much when we were born through lots of life experiences. So those strongholds need to be, the renewing of the mind is a twofold process. One is demolishing the strongholds, the negative thinking, the thinking that will not and does not align with the word of God. And the other side is building up and renewing our mind in God's truth. What God says is true. What God says is real. It's a twofold process and they work together at the same time. So when we come to um, looking at strongholds in our mind, they are always based on untruth, always based on lies. How do, how do we get that? How does it happen? Okay, so... Part of my story would be when I was three years old. Well, I came from a non-Christian family. But when I was three years old, there was a lot of trauma happened in my childhood. 
mostly through my father, but a lot of trauma when I was three years old. Then, so do you, in that trauma, in those events that happen, um, you do certain things come into your mind. They may not stay there, they might just kind of filter through, but then a one year later, a similar thing happens. And so the thought comes back. And so it goes on in our lives where after a while, those thoughts just become habit patterns of thinking. And they're the things that will block us moving into freedom in the spirit. So what happened to me was um, my father passed away three years ago and it was only four weeks ago that I received all his documents and papers. So just to give you some background there, my father was very narcissistic. He was manipulative and controlling. He was abusive, blah, blah, blah. Um, he, um, and when I was three, um, he, like, okay, let's put it this way. There was verbal and emotional abuse. There was never any sexual abuse. In fact, my father was very, um, very pure in that area. So he had this very dark side to his personality. The other side was he was like the life of the party. He could tell a joke like nobody else could. He would write things. He was a bit of an author. Um, he had a great singing voice. He could play musical instruments. Like he was quite gifted and clever in many ways. And um, all my friends, my friends always wanted to come to my house because my parents were actually quite young, relatively young compared to theirs. And, um, you know, my family was a lot of fun until the front door closed and we were on our own. And then very often it was a different story. So, you know, the scars of childhood um, can be quite traumatic. So I'm reading these letters, uh, the pile of letters there, and I was surprised actually to see quite a few letters from my grandmother, not my father's mother, but my mother's mother like my father's mother-in-law. I was actually quite shocked. And just a quick glance at them, I realised she'd written them in secret to my father and she'd written them, sent them to his workplace. So my mother never knew that these letters existed. So um, I sat down and read them and they had a really severe impact on me, um, mainly because bringing back a lot of memories, things I'd forgotten that were very painful. Um, sh the feeling of shame came back to me. Um, I felt um, like my father would betray me. He would be manipulative. He would lure, it was my sister and I and my mum, and I was my father's favourite. That wasn't necessarily a good thing. Um, my sister was ignored by my father. So we've often talked about what's the worst, <laughs> being ignored or having too much attention, and we agree it was having too much attention. And um, my grandmother 
I think, saw something in my dad that frightened her, that made her write these letters. But because she was manipulated by him as well, she did. She, uh, the letters go round and round in circles where she's praising him and telling him how wonderful he is. But also there's this undercurrent of, I think my daughter's unhappy with you. You know, that that's the undercurrent that's going on. Are you blaming her for things? So she'd obviously seen some interactions that really upset her. Now, I have... Um, I had never thought that before. I'd never thought that my grandmother suffered. And she was a wonderful woman. I'd say God planted her in my life because while home was quite dysfunctional, she gave me a lot of self-esteem. I was like the favourite grandchild and I could do no wrong. Even if I was really naughty, if anyone roused on me, she would sort of defend me to the death, you know, because she was like, no one's going to touch you. And I think I needed that in my life. So to see her pain and suffering really um, affected me deeply. And so what happened was, in my mind, I kind of revisited a lot of the past because a lot of the past in the letters, events and situations that occurred, and I'm remembering them all. And so my mind is kind of racing. And at the same time, I'm sort of saying, God, you know, I don't want to be thinking these thoughts. These thoughts are coming back to me. I've kind of, you've rescued me from that. You've delivered me from that. Emotionally, I felt um, shame that I came from a family who did all that, treated each other like that. I felt um, a deep sadness. What I didn't feel was fear. But my body started to react in fear, with fear symptoms. So my heart, like all day long, my heart's kind of going a little bit faster and I felt sick in the stomach, like 24-7. Um, like a dread, a darkness, like nausea, like that kind of, you know, when you get scared and you, yeah, that's how I felt, like 24-7. And I kind of... Um, it took me a few days to kind of, you know, put it all together and I just sort of, the penny dropped and I thought, I'm actually just under spiritual attack because the body symptoms didn't match anything else. So this is what I did. I thought, okay, I'm going to pray about this. So for 10 minutes I prayed in tongues, I prayed in English, I resisted the enemy and everything left four days then it came back it was triggered by a, a, a document that I found it was kind of buried in dad's papers a document which was really sick and my daughter was there and Al's there and I said you read it what do you think and they said it's weird and it's sick so all that shame and everything just kind of revisited me and the pain that my mother experienced. Like my mother became an alcoholic because of the way my dad treated her. And I've never really told anyone that because um, my mum my only died a couple of years ago and I thought, I'm not going to talk about her while she's alive. But now that she's passed away, I feel I can say things like that. Um, you know, my sister... Um, you know, she had a wreck of a marriage, really. And 
I became a Christian, you know. And so God rescued me, the only one in my family ever that I can trace, doesn't matter how far back, I'm the only person who's ever had an encounter with Jesus. I'm really grateful for that. So um, I, I said to the Lord, um, I'll pray again. And it was just this restriction on me. I thought, no, I, I'm not going to pray. I'm going to just read the word, grab the Bible, set it on my lap. Romans 8. I need to read Romans 8. Started reading Romans 8. And it's that affirming thing about the spirit is quickened within me. I have the Holy Spirit. My spirit is clean. It's pristine. I have the mind of the spirit. So I'm saying all I'm saying these things out loud. I'm reading the word out aloud. And um, as I'm doing that, what is coming to me is to write down the things, they're all negative, but write down the things that I know were the strongholds in my thinking that God has set me free from. I'm going to read them out to you and when I get home I'm going to throw the paper in the bin. <laughs> this is not an extensive list, but it's filled up this pretty much this little page, three columns. First column are the lies that I've believed about myself, um, the lies that Satan was able to plant into my mind and into my heart from a very young age and then keep affirming that negativity uh, for many, many years. The second list is about the lies he planned in my mind about other people. And thirdly, um, the lies that were planned in my mind about God. You will see, I, can't, I don't have time to stop for every single one and say, look at that, but you will see that they are pretty much all based on fear. Because lies and fear go together and they will block your intimacy with God. You don't have to have everything perfect to have intimacy with God. They work together. The deeper you go into God, the freer you become. The freer you become, the deeper you can go into God. So here's this lovely list. So, okay. Um, so these are all words that are spoken to me okay keep your distance you are no good intimacy will not work out for you be strong or pretend to be strong if you fail you are weak you must achieve it's your responsibility to hold everything together. By the time I was three-year-old, I knew I was responsible for, for my emotion, my mother's emotional well-being. And I had to be strong. to hold. I held the family together for till my father left my mother. I was in my 30s. I held the family together. Um, 
it's safer to keep yourself isolated. It's shameful to be poor, because we were poor. You are trapped hopelessly in the past. Your life is about pain and suffering. What a load of crap, but anyway. The things I believed about other people. You can see these are fear-based and they roll on from the lies I've believed about myself. Don't trust people. People are not good. People are selfish. Don't depend on people. People will always abandon you. People will, people will want to control you and manipulate you. People want, will want to take from you. People will betray you. It's best to withdraw. I've distilled the things I believed about God into four points because this could go on for hours. About God, God can't be trusted. God will keep his distance from me. God is weak. I mean, that's pretty amazing. Just think of that one. God is weak. And God is not who he says he is. So those lies had built a stronghold in my thinking. Now, you hear all that and you think, wow, that's amazingly dysfunctional. But let me tell you, the, um, most of those were subtle things in my life. They weren't out there for the world to see. You know why? Because I was strong or I pretended to be. So at school I was popular. I was always like the school captain, the class captain, the sports captain. I was popular. But, um, and people would say to me, oh, sure, you're so confident. And I go, oh, yeah. Inwardly I would think, you have no idea. I'm actually really scared. I'm scared that you won't like me, but I'm scared that you will like me. Because if you like me, I might have to give you something and then you might not ever give back. You might manipulate me like my father did. You might control me. You might reject me, abandon me. So all these things sort of start to come into play. So I wrote this list out and um, said to the Lord, here's the list. It's based on fear. And that's what I'm feeling in my body. I'm reading Romans 8. And I'm so preoccupied with that, I've forgotten what comes next in Romans 8. So if you want to put that up. For those who are led by the Spirit, hello. That's me. Is it you? Don't sound real sure. Anyway, uh, we are... The children of God. You're the children of God? Are you led by the Spirit then? You can't help it. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear. And those words, you are not a slave again.
to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship and you can say, Father God. And I remembered um, when I um, started to deal with a lot of fears in my life of saying over and over the scriptures on fear. This one, I had about four or five. There was this one, there's the one in 1 John 4 where it talks about fear is torment and fear has to do with punishment. And if you fear, you are not perfected in the love of God. There's So that's two. The other one I know very well is 2 Timothy 1.7. God has not given us a spirit of fear. When... When he gave us, when our spirit was quickened, it wasn't so that we would fear. It was so that we would be free of fear. So if he didn't give us a spirit of fear, what did he give us? He gave us a spirit of power, of love, and a disciplined Mind. If you read Romans 8, you will see we have the mind of the Spirit, a disciplined mind. And we cooperate with that in our soul by renewing our mind. So oh, when I read, you know, I'm affirming all these scriptures in my mind and I'm remembering that Jesus said, Satan is a liar. Um, he only knows how to lie. Every time he opens his mouth, it's a lie. And I remember very often I've said this, and I hope I don't say it again because I don't, I don't think it's right. Satan tells half-truths. Well, I don't actually think he does because what's a half-truth? A half-truth is deception and deception is a lie. So I can't even concede that. He only tells lies. And there's a bunch of them that I read out. And um, so I'm dealing with this fear thing and, I, and I'm realising that to engage with the Holy Spirit in spiritual warfare is mandatory if you want to be free. So, so far I've talked about prayer. I've talked about reading the word. I've talked about speaking the word. But there are many other things we can do. There's thanksgiving. There's worship. There's getting people to pray for you. Like, it's endless. You read Ephesians 6. The sword of the spirit is the word of God. And all the armour we can put on and fight. So, look, I heard a guy tell this story. And he he didn't tell it for the reason I'm going to tell it at all. Because I'm going to... Oh, well, I won't say what I'm going to do. Okay. So just say... That's a table. And um, I'm talking about guns. I'm giving a lecture on guns, right? So I get pistol out. I haven't got a pistol. There's a pretend pistol for the sake of the podcast or any pe people who are listening. Um, you know, and I put six bullets in it, okay? I got the pistol. I come over here. I put it down. 
And then I say, is it a dangerous weapon? And we all say, yeah, it's got six bullets in it. It's going to kill someone. It's actually not a dangerous weapon. Okay? Pick it up, cock it. Now it's a dangerous weapon. And it's the same with the spiritual weapons we have. If all you ever do is read about it, it's useless. It's powerless. We have to do it. And, you know, in Romans 10, talks about, and it's from Deuteronomy 30, I think, where in Deuteronomy 30, talking about the commands of God and talking about the word we speak. And it says, you know, I'm not telling, this is my translation version, I'm not telling you to go up to heaven and get this word. I'm not telling you to go into Hades, into the deep and get this word. The word is near you. It's in your mouth. Say it. It's the word of God. And who is the word of God? Jesus. Made flesh. The word made flesh. We say the word. We're communing with Jesus when we speak his word. And we're saying what is the truth and the reality, which is not the way the world thinks. And this is how we become transformed. Our minds become renewed. We can't sit on our backside and hope it all happens. We have to engage in spiritual warfare to gain freedom. We partner with the Holy Spirit in doing that. So one last part to my um, four-week story. Last Tuesday... um, because Al's kind of watching me do all this stuff and every now and then he'd say, do you want to pray? And I'm kind of more, let me work it out a little bit on my own first and then we'll see what happens. So by Tuesday, he's asking me again and I said, yeah, okay, let's pray. So we spent, I don't know, half an hour maybe, a bit more praying and the Lord, you know, about the letters, about Dad, you know, about all this praying again. And the Lord showed me some more things and were able to sort of deal with that using spiritual weapons. Anyway, um, at the end, I said to Al, you know, I kind of felt I was closing a door. And I said to Al, I feel like I have gained an authority that I haven't had before. Actually, let me correct that. I didn't feel like it. I know. I know that I've gained an authority that I haven't had before because of that, The really, the last four weeks. And later on when I was thinking about it, because I thought, you know, those strongholds, a stronghold is kind of like a, uh, like a fortress or a castle. So I... I I just thought about a castle and I just saw, you know, it says demolish your strongholds and I just saw the castle was pretty much demolished. But there was one sort of rock, one stone or brick or whatever, kind of stuck in the ground, the only one that hadn't been overturned. And it was sort of, I felt like I kicked it and overturned it and got rid of it. And um, Al said to me, He said, I feel as if um, 
those letters, everything that you've gone through over the last month, I feel that Satan's plan was to give you what your father had. And um, when he said that, that resonated with me. And I think, thank you, Jesus, that you rescued me because God had another plan. And um, by his grace, I have fitted into that plan. So we finished talking and I got up, went over to my phone because I thought, what am I doing today? Tuesday, the 6th of August, scrolled down, was the anniversary of my father's death. So I felt that, um, isn't that amazing, eh? I felt that everything that Alan and I just confirmed in the spirit, God was kind of giving it a big tick. And um, so those four things, sin, unforgiveness, lies and fear. There are all sorts of fears. I haven't got time to talk about them, but maybe some other day. But lies and fear will partner together and we need revelation from God and we need his help. And Carolyn said at the beginning, um, we need you, Jesus. She said, I need him. And I think that's an echo in this room of how much we need Jesus. We cannot do this apart from him. And this church has always been about gaining freedom and um, more and more freedom, Lord, more and more freedom, whatever it takes to get free. And um, we lay our lives down for freedom. And I know that um, Carolyn has carried burden of this church. Like I know that she has suffered carrying the burden of this church. And that mantle of freedom um, that comes from her heart is available for all of you who are part of this church. And I urge you to take it. Don't settle for anything less than being free because this is why he died, so that we could be free. And there's nothing better than being free and getting more freedom and helping others to get the same freedom that you have gained for yourself. So I think we could just close our eyes and think for a little while. I'd like you to do that. Um, so Father, we come to you. Jesus, we're welcoming you into our homes to have a chat to you today. And Jesus, we tell you, we need you, Jesus. Will you speak to us now, Jesus? What do you want us to know? What do you want to tell us? Yeah, thank you, Father God. Thank you, Father. Amen.
Look, if anyone would like prayer, please just come and we can pray with you tonight. Um, but if the Holy Spirit has spoken into your heart, and I trust that he has, um, don't abandon the thought. Um, pursue life and freedom. He's at the door. Let him in. Amen. I um, just would like to reflect on what was going through my head and my heart as Cheryl was talking tonight. And that is that really what she gave us in a beautiful way was a snapshot of some of her journey that is ongoing. The freedom that God still has for Cheryl. And um, it was very vulnerable and wonderful to hear that. And for her to open her heart and her life to us, the fears and the things. And I was thinking, you know, that's Cheryl's story. But God's writing your story. Your story's not Cheryl's story. There's probably similarities though because those fear things, they're in all of us. And I was just, I guess, mindful of how easy it is and maybe one of the lies I know goes through my head and maybe it goes through yours too is you will always be that way. That circumstance in your life, that's just the way it is. But that's not the truth. And I want you to hear that tonight because Cheryl gave us a picture of what it's like to keep pursuing freedom, even for things that are perhaps long done, but come back again. What's in you, that's not what has to be. It's not your lot. It's not the way it is. The way of God is freedom. For freedom he has set you free and he will keep offering unto you freedom until the day you die and he births you into new resurrection life. So don't settle for thinking it's just the way it is. You are just the way you are. Your circumstances are always going to be that way. And if you've put down the loaded gun and all of those spiritual practices that you know bring you hope and freedom and you've walked away, let the Holy Spirit remind you it's okay to pick it up again. He wants you to be free. He wants you to walk your journey and your path and find your freedom because that is the offer of the goodness of God. And he is in you and he is with you and he is knocking on the door and he's eating chocolate cake with you. He can help you pick it up again. And so I want to challenge you with that tonight. That I, I feel the challenge from the Holy Spirit for us is for those of us who have walked away from the freedom that's on offer because it's felt too hard. Listen again to the tenderness of God saying, I have freedom and it's yours. Amen. And so I want to pray for people too tonight. We are a praying church. And so we can finish and there actually is chocolate cake. Is it chocolate cake? There's Oreo cake up in the hall. So this is what we're going to do. It's, it's Caitlin's birthday. She, there's a massive cake. I've seen it. looks really good. Cheryl and I and others are going to linger here and we're going to pray for people and Chris is going to play music. And if you want prayer to even maybe recommit yourself to the path of freedom, maybe there's something specific you want prayer for, come out the front. 
Um, if not, just be mindful that we'd love to pray for people. And if you want to go eat chocolate cake, maybe head up to the hall. Is that, is that all right? Chris, you want to sing a tune? So bless you. Have a wonderful week. If you, if you want to go and eat cake, there is no judgment because the Lord has convicted us of judgment. Um, and if you would like prayer, we will pray. Thanks for listening. If you want to check out more about Central, visit us at centralchurch.org.au. Music by Chris D'Souza, a beloved member of Central. Ha, ha, ha.